Officer Keller choosing to deploy lethal force on Stonechild in the middle of this crowd, was that justified or was that something that is liable under the Criminal Code of Washington? You know, in that prosecutor's report, it seemed like they were picking and choosing whose quotes they were going to publish. So let's talk about the definitions, the statutory definitions for force. There's a different time frame to look at based on the statutory requirement that the deadly force has to be necessary. To condemn police violence elsewhere while continuing to avoid meaningful accountability for the profound harm that police have caused in the city is reprehensible. I demand justice for Stonechild Chief Stick. I have not seen a prosecutor do that. It's spectacular. He's broken ranks with state law enforcement in taking that position. Reading the prosecutor's report is absolutely imperative to have this conversation. There's some stuff floating around online. There's a video, a horrific, uh, it's a propaganda piece that terribly distorts the facts. Guys, don't believe necessarily what you see on the internet. Guys, gotta do some homework. I think everybody just needs to stick together. Not only our family, but the community, and they need to see what's really going on. On to use the force. So hopefully uh, the Tim presentation didn't steal a lot of my thunder. Uh, I should have sat down here and watched it. You have videos though, right? I've got videos. Deadly force is the intentional application of force through the use of firearms or any other means reasonably likely to cause death or serious physical injury. So any other means, it doesn't just have to use, it can be your hands. We're going to talk about that in a second. It can be any other means that could cause death or physical injury. Uh, And necessary means no reasonably effective alternative to the use of force appear to exist and that the amount of force used is reasonable to affect the lawful purpose intended. This audio is from a use-of-force training session at the Polsbo Police Department. These officers are learning about use-of-force incidents and the current law surrounding them. These are laws that would be guiding Kitsap County Prosecutor Chad Enright's charging decision. Specifically, the new law that I-940 put into place known as the Good Faith Standard. So what is the Good Faith Standard? This is it. Um... A peace officer shall not be held criminally liable for using deadly force in good faith, where good faith is an objective standard which shall consider all the facts, circumstances, and information known to the officer at the time to determine whether a similarly situated reasonable officer would have believed that the use of deadly force was necessary to prevent death or serious physical harm to the officer or another individual. Did you get all that? There's a lot happening here, so let's do a quick recap of events. Stoney was killed on July 3, 2019. The investigation started that night. In late October, the investigative documents were sent to Kitsap County Prosecutor Chad Enright for a charging decision. Prosecutor Enright asks KCERT to clarify some details in the case, and in December, sent the case back to KCERT for further investigation. Months go by. In March, after the investigation was handed over to the prosecutor for a second time, I talked to Leslie Cushman and Trishandra about their expectations. We're looking for whether the Kitsap County prosecutor is looking at the elements of the law and analyzing whether the use of deadly force was necessary. And there are statutory definitions of that. And whether the involved agency 
stayed out of the investigation and whether the investigation team interviewed all the witnesses and handled evidence correctly and treated it as a criminal investigation. Perhaps that's part of what is taking so long with this. I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but perhaps during this time period between November and today is nearing the end of March, perhaps the investigation has been redone or, or uh, in some ways so it comports with the requirements of the law. Well, I'm hoping that it's because when they seen the Kitsap critical response, whatever that is, the supposed independent investigation, I'm hoping that when the prosecution and everybody seen that report, they felt that, wow, nobody investigated Keller. And maybe they're trying to do some actual investigation on Keller. That's what I'm praying for. But it could always be because when they don't file charges against Keller, they want to make sure they dot all their I's and cross all their T's. In April of 2020, more than nine months after the shooting, Prosecutor Enright released his decision. At the end of a 17-page document detailing his deliberative process, the prosecutor concluded, quote, Based upon the entirety of the investigation and witnesses' statements, the evidence establishes that the deadly force used by Officer Craig Keller was legally justified. The report reads, quote, the purpose of this review is to determine if the actions of Polsbo Police Department Officer Craig Keller in causing the death of Mr. Stonechild Chiefstick were criminal or were justified. That is the limited subject and scope of this review. RCW 9A.16.040 provides that a public officer shall not be held criminally liable for using deadly force when the force used is justifiable under the law. The conclusions in this case are drawn from the statements made by the community members who saw what occurred on July 3, 2019, and the corroborating physical evidence." End quote. To summarize, the prosecutor is using the specific criteria set forth in the good faith standard to determine whether Officer Keller's use of force was justified. There are two sections the shooting must be weighed against. When necessarily used, again, go back to that definition of necessarily from earlier, by an officer meeting the good faith standard of the section to arrest or apprehend a person that the officer reasonably believes has committed, has attempted to commit, is committing or attempting to commit a felony. In the prosecutor's opinion, Officer Keller receiving reports of Stoney threatening people with a screwdriver satisfies this section. There has to be probable cause to believe that the suspect is, if not apprehended, poses a threat of serious physical harm to the officer or a threat of serious physical harm to others. Prosecutor Enright says a screwdriver, when threatened to be used as a stabbing instrument, is a deadly weapon under Washington law. These assertions combined meet the good faith standard. We had a good meeting with the prosecutor. And after that meeting, Terry Rogers Kemp and I exchanged 
a lot of information and emails with the prosecutor. And then perhaps the day before the prosecutor announced his decision, we were on the phone with him for about an hour. And we were disappointed with his decision not to charge. In our opinion, we thought there were sufficient facts to bring to a jury. Before he made his decision, I pretty much believed that he wasn't going to charge. And I had my reasons for thinking that. So I wasn't really surprised when he opted not to file charges. You know, you can't just decide you're going to pull out a gun and shoot someone. I think that in his case, it was not necessary to use a firearm. There were other measures, including not provoking by running up on. Those measures, had they been taken into account, he would be alive. I think that an investigation should include an in-depth analysis into were there alternatives to a firearm. And if there were alternatives and those alternatives were not exercised, you have to look at whether or not a manslaughter charge is not appropriate. I thought a manslaughter charge was appropriate in this case. So I I guess I'm part of this Justice First Learning Coalition. And that's kind of just this organic group that's cohesed out of people who've been following this and showing up and demanding justice. And I really try to take Chief Dan Shoemaker and Prosecutor Chet and write at their words. I've had a lot of personal conversations with them. And while I've had plenty of reasons to be skeptical of this process, just seeing how it's happened all across the country for years, for decades of police investigations, intentionally being obscured and intentionally being disrailed and being covered up. I I was really hoping better for this. Okay. uh, So now we're moving on to mayor's reports and council comments. Um, Why don't we just start with the council? Uh, Ms. Lipdahl, how are you this evening? Um, (laughs) I really want to encourage everyone, if you have not, to read the prosecutor's report. That should be the basic foundation of what you do um, in order to engage in this conversation. Um, I really don't wanna hear the excuse that it's too long um, or the presumption that all of the 25 people involved in that investigation um, are not on the side of justice. I don't wanna it's, um, it's frustrating. So read the investigation report. It's primarily witness statements. So if you don't have time to read what eyewitnesses saw at the scene, then let's not even have a discussion on it. Uh, you got to know the facts before you lead to assumptions. Anybody can put forward problems, but if I'm going to put forward a problem, I'm going to put forward a solution. Read the report and find the report, look through it and give me actual solutions. Throughout this time, I'd been lurking on some Facebook groups dedicated to justice for Stoney. I'd done all this work looking into the case, and I wanted to make sure people knew what was going on behind the scenes. So I made a video about the investigation, the one on the front page of stonechildpodcast.com. It got shared fairly widely. That clip from the intro where the mayor calls the video a propaganda piece, I'm pretty sure she's talking about this video, which is surprising. 
the prosecutor's report is now a link to it is on our city website on the police page. So if you have questions about that prosecutor's report, first of all, read it. And then, you know, give me a call. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pick up a phone, okay, because I've gotten so many phone calls. But I'd be more than happy to discuss this with anyone. Reading the prosecutor's report is absolutely imperative to have this conversation. There's some stuff floating around online. There's a video, a horrific, uh, it's a propaganda piece video that uh, terribly distorts the facts. And, um, you know, guys don't believe necessarily what you see on the Internet, right? I mean, guys got to do some homework. For a while, I was tempted to leave this case as it was. This report was clearly well thought out, well argued, well articulated. It's hard to disagree with a lot of what Prosecutor Enright is saying here. But the investigation was so inadequate. I thought, how can you make a decision based on that? How do you get a clear picture of this event without all the evidence? To that end, there are some glaring inconsistencies in this report. Quoting the report, the CASERT investigation revealed no instances of allegations or complaints of racially biased conduct in Officer Keller's employment history, end quote. No complaints were provided, though they did exist in Ruslan Pavlov's complaint against Officer Keller. Prosecutor Enright says, quote, Polsbo officers had no other involvement in the investigation after July 3rd, end quote. We also know this to be untrue. Officer Sangill handled evidence in the case much later than July 3rd. The prosecutor goes on to say, quote, There is no evidence to establish that Officer Keller had ever personally interacted with Mr. Chiefstick in the past, end quote. This is an extremely questionable assertion. In her initial report, Detective Kleinfelder said there had been no contact between Officer Keller and Stoney. When pressed, she later found an instance where Officer Keller had run Stoney's name through the system. Instead of investigating the incident, Detective Kleinfelder made a presumption that Officer Keller was just checking plates. We also heard Ruslan Pavlov make the assertion that Officer Keller didn't record his interactions with him. The prosecutor states, quote, The published charging standards of the Kitsap Prosecutor's Office require that a thorough factual investigation has been conducted before a decision to prosecute is made. Knowing what we know about the investigation, this is flatly untrue. I'm not the only one who had concerns about this report. So if you look at the definition of necessary, RCW 9A16 means no reasonably effective alternative to the use of force appeared to exist. And then also that the amount of force used was reasonable to affect the lawful purpose. And I know that a lot of research went into whether a screwdriver is a deadly weapon. And I didn't have any disagreement with whether it was a deadly, deadly weapon. Our discussion with the prosecutor was around whether the time frame that the prosecutor was looking at the chain of events, was he really looking closely at the decision-making that went into the use of force? And when Officer Keller decided to tackle Mr. Chiefstick, Keller decided not to use any other alternative, right? They didn't clear the crowd. One of the officers had pulled their taser out. Keller appears pretty reckless. We thought there should have been a, a different analysis of the sequence and the time frame in order to give meaning to the word necessary in, in the statute. I think that there were other means to address the crisis that Mr. Chiefstick was going through on that day. I look at 
the number of individuals who remained in the park, even though they were complaining about him, no one ran away scared and fleeing. They were sitting on blankets, for heaven's sake, with their children. So it wasn't so dangerous that they felt fear enough that they had to leave the immediate area in the park. There were people around when this man was shot. Other people could have been struck as well. Um, Under those circumstances, I think that there has to be a broader look. There has to be a broader investigation, not just the incident itself, right? But time prior to that. And I've been very vocal about that, that um, the investigation has to include motivation of the police officer. Is this police officer predisposed to thinking that this is a throwaway life or that this life is, or that this behavior is typical and that they have to have a reason um, to, to be behaving in that way? Um, so that gives reason to, to shoot and kill. I think that motive has to be more deeply explored. And I, I don't believe that it is currently. Nothing Stoney did warranted him being shot in a crowd. Because I'd heard from other people that they were really upset and terrified that their child witnessed a man being shot by the cops for seemingly nothing. And... Uh, You know, I remember reading that our own Suquamish Police Department, I feel like they threw Stoney under the bus by saying that normally he was cooperative with them and on good terms with them. But when he saw Kitsap County Sheriff, um, he viewed them as, quote unquote, outsiders. And it's really frustrating because this, to me, sounds like a clear description that Stoney believed that they didn't have jurisdiction on the reservation, which is a valid thing because only tribal police can arrest a Native American. So our own police are saying, oh, they viewed him as an outsider. No, they viewed them, him as not, them as not having jurisdiction on the reservation. And the first person they described that contacted the police said that Stoney was trying to thrust, you know, uh, to held a screwdriver in a lower stabbing motion. And to me, you know, if you're walking and holding something, you're naturally swinging it back and forth. No one holds their arms, you know, still at their sides unless they're like a mummy or something like that. That anything that someone does, they're trying to view it as a reason to kill someone. There were two really big red flags that stuck out to me in that report. And one was the way that Chad Enright assessed the role that bias may have played in this entire episode where there was a very superficial summation that no allegations of racial bias had impacted Craig Keller's decision because no one had come forward with any allegations of racial bias. And so therefore, you know, it's just totally in a vacuum and it's one human being and another human being and there's no considerations. And I just, we know that to be untrue and there's dozens and dozens of studies that show even the most well-intentioned people often harbor unconscious biases that impact the way that we make decisions. And that not only was affecting Craig Keller, but, you know, I also believe that many of the people in largely white Paulsbo also had biases impacting the way that they were making decisions, that they were assessing the threat that Stonechild presented to them. You know, we heard a lot of people saying, like, here's this big man who is 
staring at me and threatening my family. And, you know, of course I felt scared. And of course I like had to notify the police. So that's, that's part of um, Chad Enright's report that disturbed me. The other part though, is just, I do think fundamentally in the carrying out of a police officer's duty, you know, it's not only the immediate moment, but I think then there's absolutely no reason why the Paulsville Police Department and Paulsville City officials couldn't have talked to Stone Child earlier to try to do some crisis intervention and to try to do some de-escalation and risk aversion. And instead, they're saying, well, it's out of our hands until it comes to the point that we're going to need to kill you. And to me, that, that just is a tremendous failing of the role that police claim they serve of, you know, to protect and to serve. And they're doing neither in this situation. And so I think we need to really reckon with, well, what does that mean? And what does that mean the police are actually doing if they're not there to help look out for people and to help people get safety and help people get the resources they need? The Suquamish tribe released a statement on the prosecutor's decision. It reads as follows. That local police were unable to manage an uncomfortable situation involving a person of color without violence has become all too common. We believe that this was a preventable homicide. This father of five, a valued member of our community, did not have to die. There were other options. He could have been asked to leave the crowded July 3rd gathering when it was evident he was experiencing either a mental health or substance abuse episode. Had police officers used de-escalation methods and more skillfully handled the interaction, the encounter could have ended peacefully. Stonechild Chiefstick's children could still have their father. Polsbo residents could have looked forward to a future July 3rd celebration free from the remembered trauma of a violent death. More of the tribal community would have been able to visualize Polsbo as a safe place to shop and visit. Officer Keller may not be charged, but he's still responsible. The other officers at the scene should also be held to account. In failing to de-escalate the situation, they contributed to the death of one man, the irreplaceable loss of a father, son, brother, and partner to others. And their actions traumatized an entire community. Another thing that bothered me was when the decision came out. The decision was released on April 17th, 2020, which landed on a Friday. In political spheres, Friday is typically referred to as the Friday news dump, because supposedly nobody reads the paper on Saturday. Also, early April 2020 was right in the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, when people were still trying to figure out what the heck was going on in the world. It was the perfect time to gloss over some controversial news. You know, I, I just have to think that this was intentionally done to do so in a way that prevented people from responding. That was done at a time where people literally cannot get out and be involved in the conversation for fear of dying, you know, for fear of being exposed to large groups. So I, I just have to assume then that the decision to release it now on a Friday, but also during a pandemic when people are prohibited from being able to gather in public and being able to participate and, you know, responding to this was intentional. It was intentionally done to stifle protest and to sweep it under the rug. And to me, it's just another example in a long line of policymakers saying, you know, native lives don't matter. At the end of the day, you know, we're not going to 
get justice for Sony, and we're not even going to allow it to be something that people are going to be able to be outraged about. We're going to sweep it under the rug, forget it never happened, and we're going to have our fireworks again like we always do on the 3rd of July. Here we are living in happy white Palsbo. Two months after the release of the charging decision, Kitsap County Prosecutor Chad Enright released a letter to the Kitsap County House and Senate team saying, quote, I wanted to address with each of you my concerns about local county prosecutors reviewing cases of alleged criminal activity of law enforcement officers within our county. It has always been the role of the county prosecutor to review and make charging decisions on those cases. I believe that system should change. It's abundantly clear to me that the public does not have faith in local prosecutors reviewing these cases. I can certainly see their concerns, as we frequently have to work with the same law enforcement agents whose conduct we are reviewing. The appearance of fairness is an important principle of criminal law. The current system does not appear fair. It's spectacular. He's broken ranks with state law enforcement in taking that position. Uh, We're proud that that position resulted in part from Trishandra Pickup uh, meeting with Prosecuting Attorney Enright and helping him understand that there was more to this situation than he might have been told by his brothers or sisters in blue. It's a spectacular position insofar as he is, again, breaking ranks with law enforcement, be they police officers or prosecutors. And again, the prosecutors and police officers work hand in hand or hand in glove to ensure that officers involved in fatalities don't face any repercussions. So the fact that he said what he said and did what he did is is quite remarkable. I think that those discussions have been had by prosecutors behind closed doors, but for him to so openly and courageously come out in favor of removing one more link between law enforcement and local prosecutors. Water over rocks makes sand. You know, it takes some time, but eventually you have sand. And I think I think that's here. I think it was a, a, a very courageous step, and I think that it was vital to help uplift the conversation of separating prosecutors and local law enforcement. It's clear to me that Prosecutor Enright is playing both sides of the situation. On the one hand, he's granting an audience to community members and concerned citizens. However, the other hand is going along with law enforcement's versions of events, a continuation of the status quo. People have been praising his decision to encourage the Attorney General to take up the case. But it's hard to take seriously when considering his role in exonerating Officer Keller. I should say that I have spoken with and exchanged emails with Prosecutor Enright. He has been extremely courteous and forthcoming, which, from someone in a position of power with regard to this case, has been a breath of fresh air. And while I greatly appreciate his candor, I strongly disagree with his approach to this case. My sense is that he ultimately just doesn't want to charge Officer Keller. In the end, the prosecutor's charging decision is a well-considered and thorough application of a specific law. However, the law is being applied to the version of events developed by KSERT with the intention of meeting these specific requirements. They're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. The day the charging decision was released, 
Polsbo Police Chief Dan Schoonmaker said, Craig is a man of great character. He's a great police officer, and we're proud to have him with this department. To have him back and out on patrol is going to help all of us. Three days later, Officer Keller was back on the street. The Polsbo Police Officers Association also put out a statement saying, quote, The Polsbo Police Officers Association thanks those who withheld judgment and waited for factual information to be released before drawing conclusions about the officer-involved shooting of July 3, 2019. Any loss of life is a tragedy. It's a tragedy suffered by those involved, their family, and our community as a whole. However, it's also a tragedy that individuals and organizations without first-hand knowledge of facts and without insight into law enforcement make uneducated remarks about things they do not know. Such statements can only confuse, stir dissent, and tarnish the reputation of law enforcement officers who every day are willing to put their lives on the line for complete strangers. We sincerely appreciate the outpouring of support from Polsbo. Every single day, the residents of this city show love and appreciation for each other, our city, and our police officers. That sense of community makes it easy for us to come to work each day swelling with pride. Despite the provocative social media narrative following the July 3 shooting and indiscriminate comments of some local government officials, our officers have been inundated with empathetic support and concern. To those who let us know you had us, and especially Officer Keller, in your thoughts and prayers, words cannot express our sincerest appreciation. End quote. Interestingly, as of 2019, the president of the Polsbo Police Officers Association was Craig Keller. You know, we've seen a lot of episodes in the last several years where no charges have been brought to police officers, you know, whether it be with Michael Brown and Ferguson or Eric Gardner, Staten Island. But I had a number of uh, pretty insightful conversations with the prosecutor, Chet Enright, and I felt like he actually was really committed to finding justice in this case. You know, and I, I have no expectation that that automatically means that he's going to charge Keller, but I do have an expectation that means that he's going to seriously look at the facts of the case. And not only the facts of the case immediately, but also the context of racial bias and of uneven policing and uneven application of laws and the ways that these entire institutions have been developed explicitly against indigenous people. And to, to at least have a bit of sensitivity to think through those considerations and to think through, you know, what does justice look like in this case? And so when, when he came out and said that no charges would be pressed and that Keller's use of lethal force was justified, I was, I was heartbroken and I was very surprised and I felt a pang of regret for even letting myself be surprised, but you know, I want to have hope that we as a society can really question these continued events of police violence and we can interrupt the cycle. You know, I feel like every time something like this happens is a tragedy, but even more so when we then miss the opportunity as a whole to reflect and to atone for the injustice that happened and to start the process of healing and to start the process of accountability. As far as the investigation, I know there's a lot of calls on it and I know there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, the prosecutor, yes, has done and has ruled in uh, um, uh, his opinion is on our website. We've posted that there at the request of the public. 
um, so they could uh, find it a little bit easier. But our investigation into this is not over. Uh, we have an outside investigators uh, finding facts and preparing a report administratively that's going to go to a second outside use of force review board um, that is going to be made up of different representatives to review that and provide me a recommendation on whether Officer Keller's actions were within policy or not within policy. Uh, I expect that report to be done, uh, I would say by August 1st, um, depending on how everything goes uh, over this next month. Um, but we are not brushing anything under the carpet. We are not trying to hide in the shadows or wait this thing out. We are looking at it seriously. A man lost his life, that is serious. And we will continue to look at it closely and we will continue to do the things that are set out in law and in policy and in the best interest of this community. And um, that's my report for tonight, boss. Next time on The Killing of Stonechild Chief Stick. These so-called investigators manipulate their question to obtain the answer that they seek. A lot of it was made up, too. It was like, I was right there, and some people were saying stuff that didn't even happen. That's just really a one-sided perspective of what actually was going on. That is not something that I heard this gentleman say. When he got back up, did he go into any kind of a fighting stance? or? All right, and I just saw the whole thing, and it was just bam, bam, that quick. There wasn't much time. Like when he started towards them, it was like they were going to touch soon, you know, so they were close and by, like what I remember, I felt like they were very close. I don't get it, because I was barbecuing with some child and his family, there were a couple of tables away from us, and then within an hour he gets shot by Officer Keller, it's like, how the hell is that possible? I believe this was uh, execution homicide in public. The one officer that pulled the trigger said, fuck, and put his hand on his head. Well, let's remember that the mayor basically started everything. Today is July 4th, 2019. The time is 1429 hours. This is Detective Jason Rowe of the Washington State Patrol. I'm at the Paulsville Fire Department interviewing Mayor Rebecca Erickson. And Mrs. Erickson, do you understand this is a recorded statement? Yes, I do. Go to stonechildpodcast.com slash support for ways to help get justice for Stony. If you like this podcast, give it a review on your listening platform. Special thank you to my Patreon supporters. Your contributions are greatly appreciated and are already being allocated to further this work. If you want to read more about this case and hear some behind-the-scenes content, check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash domcampese. You'll have access to other evidence I found interesting and more conversations that didn't make the show, like Terry Rogers Kemp's epiphany about police violence. Again, that's patreon.com slash Dom Campese.